Yo, yo, Nick, what's going on, man? What's up, man? Uh, welcome nice to finally sne- connect. Yeah, welcome to Sneakers to the Metaverse. Thank you for coming on. I know it's Thanksgiving week, so everybody's busy and like taking care of things, shutting off. So I appreciate you taking the time, man. Yeah, of course, man. I've been, uh, I've been, I've been looking forward to it. Yeah, man. I, it it was cool to hear that you uh, that you actually had heard about Aglet as well, because you know I'd been looking into you and I was like, man, like. I followed you and I was like trying to engage. And then I had one tweet that like, I don't know why people just like really just like, I got like 17 likes on it when I was like, yo, I want to talk to you about Aglet. And, (laughs) and like, I was like, thank you to the Twitter community. You know what I mean? Uh, But, but it was cool to hear that you'd already known about it. It's spoken to Ryan. So like, it's dope to have you on. Yeah, definitely, man. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan. Like, I think it's, um, you know, I, I, maybe get into a little bit of the backstory of why down there a little later on, but it's, it's been, it's been a welcome escape from, you know, kind of the current state of sneakers. And I'm a big advocate for going into stores and talking to people and like really like experiencing sneakers as opposed to just buying something, mm-hmm. you know, and posting up, don't get me wrong. That's all a part of it. Right. Like, yeah, you, know, you want to get something new, you want to share it with your friends on social and that kind of thing. But um, it really is, uh, you know, just a, a welcome entertainment break, you know, for me to be able to like walk around and, and, you know, check in and, and clean my shoes. And like, I mean, it's just like, there's, I get excited about the potential of where you guys could go with it. And, you know, I told Ryan this when we first initially talked, I just think that there's so much potential for this for me personally, because I mean, you can't really see it right here, but I'm, I'm sitting in a room full of sneakers and I've got half a garage full of sneakers. Right. Mm -hmm. And, as much as I love sneakers, I would happily trade many of those physical, tangible sneakers in for, you know, the aglet version because I don't need that much space, right? I don't need it to take up that much space. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So it's, it's kind of a fascinating thing to me. And, and, you know, especially like I've got a a one-year-old little puppy that needs to go on walks. So it's, it's forcing me to go a little (laughs) bit longer around the neighborhood too. So that's good. Man, for, for context, actually, after mentioning like having so many shoes, for people who might not know who you are, give me a little bit of a bio on yourself for the listeners. Yeah, so I um, I kind of just started like most people in that are into sneakers, where the the story kind of started as a kid. You know, I'm uh, I'm 41 years old now, but I still kind of mentally am right around that 22 or 23 years old. But you know, as like a as like a, a 10 year old, 11 year old maybe even younger, right? Like I uh, really got like hooked into the Nike marketing and, you know, the competitive marketing of the nineties and Reebok and, you know, pump up and air out type of things. And my brother and I would just be drawing sneakers all the time. We didn't have any kind of money to be buying sneakers. You know, we had like a $30 annual budget to buy one pair of shoes Uh and that was not going to cut mine it to, was, to buy any real shoes. You yep, know? Mine, yeah, exactly. Mine was 60. So, I remember. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so that turned into kind of just an obsession that, uh, you know, went, went through like East Bay catalogs and, um, you know, old slam magazines and stuff like that. But uh, eventually, you know, I, I started working really young at like 13 years old. I was doing like, you know, yard work and mm-hmm. I lived in Colorado at that time. So snow removal and that kind of stuff. And, ended up just start starting down the path of buying shoes. But, um, you know, it, it just kind of, it just kind of, you know, has always been around and lingered yeah. even when I, even when I was 
kind of distancing myself from it. Right. So like I'm big into cars and I spent, uh, I don't know, probably like seven or eight years working on cars, building stereo systems and electronics and doing all sorts of crazy stuff, you know, okay. customizing cars. Right. Yep. And it's super fun to me. I love doing that stuff and it's still a, a big hobby of mine, but um, sneakers kind of always, always kept pulling at me in a sense. Um, yep. So I kind of had a, a, a life-changing experience uh, where it's probably like 2000, five or 2006. Um, and my dad had a seizure. So, uh, in California, when you have a seizure, the state takes your driver's license away, uh, for either a six month period or one year period as a safety precaution, it's temporarily suspended. Got it. So at the time I was doing sales for AT&T. Um, you know, I was just like, I had kind of moved into this like shirt and tie world that I didn't really I didn't hate it. Cause it's like, you know, you're getting to play with cell phones and stuff, but like, and, and like that, since I love the technology, yep. even back then when it was very minimal, right. And people were mm-hmm. still paying for text messages. I remember uh, that time. I remember <laughs> but, that time. Yeah. So I, I essentially stepped away from that to help my dad kind of through that difficult time of him kind of carrying his business. So he was teaching technology. He was teaching, um, you know, people how to, you know, do basic stuff on their computer. Think of like if, if geek squad didn't exist, right? Like my dad was kind of fulfilling that like world, but he also had, he had lined up some partnerships with eBay. So he was teaching people how to use eBay. He was helping bigger sellers kind of, you know, bring all the pieces together, right? Kind of like if you use a Shopify now, right? There's all these different apps that you're going to pull in to make your experience right for your customers. So he was doing that. and, And I, I, started to just say, okay, I'm going to support your business. He was doing it on his own for the most part, had a little bit of help here and there, but um, I ended up having to drive him to teach classes. Cause like he was actually teaching classes at some of the like smaller education spots here in Sacramento. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I love you dad, but like, it was boring as hell for me at a certain <laughs> point. Right. It was like, of I've been doing this. I've been doing this on my own, you know, learning from him and, and learning on my own. And then, you know, going and see and do the same thing every time. It's like, okay. So I started writing about um, why I got into Jordans and uh, it was the military blue four for me that really was kind of the true blue and the military blue fours for me, like were unattainable, but the kids in my neighborhood back then had the Jordan, had the Chicago Bulls colorways. So I saw mm-hmm. the blue colorways and it was just like, wow, that is different. I haven't seen anybody wear that. And I was just really fascinated by it. So I wrote that story, kind of put it away, never finished it because, you know, it was like something I just did while I was supporting him. And uh, eventually I moved to Austin, Texas and kind of had this, you know, epiphany. Like part of it was like my dad going through that stuff, but I was just like, okay, I'm ready to kind of like take a leap of faith and figure some new stuff out, try some new things. And when I moved to Austin, I had ended up lining up a job working in the car world again down there, which... um, I wasn't like super excited about because I had really like kind of started getting bigger into writing and I'd never really publicly put out my writing. Like I'd written, even as a kid, like I actually was in like a finished like second in a state competition for this creative writing thing. So it was always lingering too. Right. And I just never embraced it Mm -hmm. um, in a way that it could turn into a profession, I guess. So when I went to Austin, Texas, uh, literally the night before I was supposed to start at um, this this automotive job, 
I go on Craigslist one last time. And I'm like, let me see if there's anything on here. And yep. there's a, there's a listing for somebody. If, if you know how to write and you like sneakers, like send us your resume. So okay. I hadn't finished the story about the Jordans and I had taken that to Texas. Like I didn't move to Texas. I literally was like backpack, duffel bag, I'm gone. So back then, you know, I'm carrying like a hard drive with a bunch of stuff on it, a laptop mm-hmm. to work from. And this is like, you know, archaic stuff. Now you're talking about 50 pounds in your backpack yeah. kind of yeah. laptop and hard drive. So old school stuff. I get down there and that's one of the only things that I, what I, I have this process of where like I would move like older stuff off to an older hard drive because I just was constantly trying to create and do stuff. So I always wanted enough space to, you know, whatever, to hold whatever was to come. Yep. But I left the story of the Jordans on there. Cause like, this has to be finished, right? Like I'm yeah. going to have some free time as I look for work. I'm just going to do it. So I never finished it, but I sent the unfinished thing. And this is like probably 12, 12 31 in the morning on a Sunday okay. night, I send it to the Craigslist ad and almost like within like a couple of minutes, I get a reply and it turns out that the job is for nicekicks.com, right? Oh, so, with Matt. Yeah, with Matt. And, um, you know, this is way back in the day. So he hadn't really gone fully into the blog yet. Okay. So long story short, I chose not to go to the job that I lined up, went to the interview with, with Matt, ended up, you know, I got there and I was like, this is where I'm supposed to be, man. Like I'm, you know. That's you know, awesome. love my girlfriend at the time, but like, I'm supposed to, I came to Austin for this to happen. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because he was really in a place to like, kind of set the tone for what sneaker blogs would become, you know, like they've obviously kind of peaked and, and turned into different things now. Yeah. But at that time it was, it you know, like that's what you consumed all of your information on. There was no feed on MySpace or Facebook or, you know, I mean, Twitter had barely even started, I think, or might've started maybe a year after I got down there. And so that was kind of like the first step into the sneaker world. And um, I got hired. So myself, George Keel, Greg Grovey, and Peter Sims. So like kind of all the, the original squad from Nice Kicks, you know, mm-hmm. obviously Matt built a lot up before that, but um, that was the first, we were the first people that he ever hired as a company. And it yeah. just kind of snowballed from there. You know, I, I ended up kind of coming back to California um, I was always on like the message boards back in the day, Nike talk and soul collector yep. and stuff that turned into a job working with soul collector. Um, cause at the time it was one of those things where like Matt was still wanting everybody to be in Austin. We were going into the office, you know, this is like 2007 or 2008. So like mm-hmm. remote work wasn't really that feasible back then, yeah. you know, the way it is today, but you know, it, it turned into just crazy amounts of opportunity for me. And I just, I try to say yes to everything I possibly could. Right. And yeah, I know that feeling. So when I got back to California, the, Nick DiPaolo was at soul collector at that time. And he reached out and was like, Hey, you know, like we're looking for people to write if you want to write, you know, mm-hmm. cause I was on the forums and, and he just saw, you know, like we were, we just had conversation in there um, anyway. But then the, one of the coolest things that happened was none of the guys from soul collector wanted to so let me back up soul collector had hadn't really fully embraced like the digital space right like there was the magazine and and we had a blog but it was very like 
light compared to what sneaker blogs are or were back then. Yep. We had the forum. So we had most of the conversation the way people are having conversations in Discord today. But we had, you know, if if you could if you could compare sizes, you know, we had you know two hundred thousand people in there at one point. Damn. You know, it was a massive yeah. forum. So yeah. um, you know, and, and Soul Collector, we got to do crazy stuff, you know, collaborative shoes. We got to do so much stuff that I just pinch myself. Am I dreaming right now? Kind of moments. Mm-hmm. For me, one of the one of the most important ones was we started to work with East Bay and East Bay's up in Wisconsin. All the Soul Collector guys are, you know, for the most part spread out. You know, you got some of the guys in Portland. We kind of had a little uh, a duplex that we called an office in Portland during that okay. time. And then, um, you know, Steve, who was one of the founders or the founder, I should say, um, was in uh, Florida and there's a couple people down there. And you had people spread out, but nobody really wanted to go up to Wisconsin because it was just nasty cold yeah. in the winter while you were trying to do all the holiday stuff, right? So I just said, okay, I'll do it. You know, like I, 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 East Bay has got so much history for me anyway. You know, I used yeah. to, you know, we used to have five of them in the house for all of the siblings, but then one extra one that stayed in the bathroom, you know, like it was like a serious yeah. thing. Like, don't, don't touch my East Bay. Like that's mine. Yeah. Not that we were ever going to get any of those shoes, but like <laughs> we would circle what look. we wanted, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, um, so that, that opportunity turned into, to a real, you know, kind of eye-opening experience for me because it sounds crazy now, but at the time, no, no retailer, no, not even Nike had like a, a real blog back then, you know, there was bits and pieces here and there, but East Bay, I got to help build the East Bay blog from scratch from nothing. Right. Yeah. And we also didn't have, you know, like advertising on, on the web had kind of like it was hit or miss. So Mm. we built out ways to integrate completely into the soul collector experience. Like it was a, it was a, a fascinating time because social media hadn't fully taken over and there yeah. was still a lot of a lot of opportunity to for a company like eSpay to be the actual voice of sneakers yep. at that time now you know you could argue that you know soul collector probably is that or maybe nike talk and such but like as a brand with that much history behind it i think there's you know it, to me it was just like a no brainer i don't want to be in the cold weather i'm trying to stay in california but like of mm-hmm. course, I'm going to take this opportunity. And that kind of just continued to lead me to new opportunities. I mean, when when I left there, um, yeah, when I left there, Russ Bankson uh, and I had become friendly over Twitter. And, you yep. know, as as someone who grew up in that era of slam being the kind of Bible, Kicks Magazine being the Bible of sneakers. Yeah. You know, I had always looked up to Russ and, and you know, it was a he basically said, Hey, I don't want to, I don't want to go through a bunch of interviews. If you want a job, you, sh- you can come to New York. Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah. So it, it, it just, I mean, all of these little things just like kept going and going, you know? And I, I think like it's, it's kind of surreal thinking about it. Cause I don't necessarily have any, any skill set that anybody couldn't easily acquire with a little bit of, you know, work mm-hmm. and, and, you know, dedication, but I think that people just resonated with the fact that I was passionate about this stuff and I cared about it, you know, and, and it, it just continued to go from there. You know, I think, um, the next, the next step for me from, from complex. Um, so I had, I had like a, a real kind of interesting time at complex because I went as a, as a, 
an editor, associate editor or something like that, right? Very mm -hmm. entry level in terms of the, you know, the editorial chain of journalism. Yep. And I knew that I didn't necessarily have the best writing skills. Like I, I feel pretty confident in my writing skills, but when I read something like that would, that say Russ would write or, you know, like NCB, who's editor in chief at the time, uh, those guys like have NCB's something that Apple I now, right? Uh, I think so. Yeah. I can't remember, but yeah, um, I know he was doing Def Jam for a while and then, yeah, just moved again. I think, I think Apple. Yeah. But I just, I resonate with the business side of it more than the writing side of it in, Got in a sense. Right. And yep. it's almost like looking around and seeing like, Hey, these guys like really can capture my attention. So mm -hmm. how can I help them better capture everyone's attention? Yeah. So that was really cool experience because I got like, I was there for maybe two months and I got the opportunity to run the complex sneaker stuff. Like it wasn't, there was no Twitter, there was no Instagram. You know, we set all that stuff up from the get go. I had, um, you know, obviously Joe LaPuma was there kind of as like a higher up in like the sneaker space, but you know, I had like Brandon Edler, um, Jeffrey, Jason, I mean, Russ was on our team. I had, uh, yeah, like just tons of people that, that, you know, really, like got it right. They were just super excited about it, you know, and yep. it was, it was one of those New York state of mind type <laughs> things too, where we worked just relentlessly. Like I was in the office sometimes at six in the morning because yeah. I knew there was going to be people there that I could talk to that I wouldn't get to talk to if I was there the regular hours. Yeah. I was always staying late, you know, like I, I moved to New York with the intention of like really kind of stamping my name on this whole experience. That's what New York is for, man. You come here to hustle, yep. you know, and like, and make your name. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and it, it's such a beautiful experience and I can't say enough about it because I don't think people fully understand what it means. You know, it's, it's, I put it this way, like I'm from California cars, mm -hmm. like this is my life is like, you know, what you would expect in a, you know, to live and die in LA video, right? Like hanging <laughs> out all the time, chilling, low riders, you know, I'm, I'm big into Hondas, but like, um, I'm big into hot rods. My family has been into like building cars for a long time. So it's like that very much yeah. that like laid back state of mind. And when I went to New York, I, for the first time in my life, didn't have a car. I left my car here. Which I makes didn't sense. know I'd never ridden the subway, you yeah. know, like I didn't really know what I was doing. And actually the first night that I was there, I was so confused by the subway that I literally just walked from like downtown Manhattan over to Brooklyn and like wow. ended up looking at an apartment. You know, it sounds like a long ways because it takes a while on the subway, but it's like what, maybe a two mile, three mile walk or something yeah. like that. And, and three, but three, like, miles, three miles in the city is quite a walk though. But it's yeah, it's, walk. it's pretty crazy, man. Um, and it turned out great. Like it, and it was one of those things where this is how like the sneaker world works. And this is why I love sneakers still to this day. Right. Like it's, I, I mean, I love the shoes, but I love the people that I meet from it. So when I went to New York, I couldn't find a place. I sent the message to everybody at complex. I said, I, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm coming in Friday night. I need a place to stay and yeah. live. You know, I, I had a little bit of money saved up, but like complex was going to put me up in a hotel. Mm, so yeah. it was like, I need a place to stay by like Monday. Like, mm -hmm. let me move into an apartment room, whatever. So I send out the thing, you know, no responses really. Then somebody responds and says, I think so-and-so knows somebody, so-and-so, you know, you get connected two or three person removed. Yeah. 
finally, like, I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to go check this place out in Brooklyn and uh, off of Washington Ave in Atlantic. So right up the, right up the block from Barclays. Right. Yeah. And turns out like I get over there and I'm talking to, to the guy turns out that like, he's friends with one of my good friends from LA. That's also a sneaker dude. Right. Like okay. had oh, no shit. way of knowing that this was connected. But once we started talking, he's like, he's like, Oh, so you're, you're going to do sneaker stuff. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'm working for complex and uh, I, I, you know, I've done some stuff for other people out while I was in California. He's like, Oh, so you probably know so-and-so. And I'm like, yeah, man. He's like, he's like a good friend of mine. He's like, yeah, he, co- he crashes on my couch every time he comes to New York. Like, oh, I'm like so you're going to see him soon. So it was just one of those like synchronicity things where you're just like, yep, you're on the right path, you know, keep going. Uh, yeah. So that kind of, uh, you know, turned into even more opportunities. I had a couple of years, maybe two years at finish line, um, where we got to start you know, product seeding, they had never sent out product before. So really like team team, like figuring out like who to that. seed the product to. Yeah. Interesting. Um, uh, again, like kind of recreating what their blog looked like. That was kind of the, the basis of it. Right. I, I kind of look at that as like, if you can do that right, then everything can spread to social and become engaging mm-hmm. and entertaining in all sorts of different ways. Right. And it's a more of a, more of a, a broad net that you're casting doing it that way, because you can also use that to drive traffic from search results and stuff like that. So it sounds antiquated in 2020 to talk about blogs so much, but it still is like a fundamental thing that I think a lot of people think they can skip past, but they end up coming back and saying like, Oh, we should probably do that now. You know, like we got to mm-hmm. have something to catch people's attention um, yeah. and, and just make sure that search results are driving some traffic. So, um, so yeah, that finish line was really, really awesome, you know, to, to kind of, I, I got to use the understanding from my experience with East Bay um, to really kind of, you know, from an outside perspective, you don't, you don't really fully understand how a business works in that space, right? You step mm-hmm. into it and you're thinking, you know, everybody thinks that it's all sneakerheads and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, there's like, you know, like at, at East Bay, for instance, there's like one or two people that are into sneakers, the entire company and during that area, the rest of yeah. them are just like, Hey, we're in Wisconsin and this is a great job to have. And it's Got nothing it. against that, no. but it's you, you seek out those people that are passionate about it. Right. Like we were talking about before you started recording, I think, you know, I've been able to, to kind of do that in, in a lot of places where I can at least hope to kind of bridge the gap between, you know, kind of maybe an older way of thinking and the, and the younger generation. Right. Cause I, Mm-hmm. I know how to play the games of corporate America. Yes. Um, not that I like it, but like, I'm also the type of person, you know, if, if anybody that listens to this has been on my team before, like they would t- totally back me up on this, but like I go to bat for my team in a way that most people won't. Right. Like mm-hmm. I look at this as like, if you're not protecting your team, then you shouldn't be in a leadership position. 100%. And Couldn't agree more. Sometimes that doesn't resonate with, you know, older ways of thinking. Right. And I respect that, you know, like that's probably why I usually only last a couple of years at jobs because I'm like, okay, cool. I've done my thing here. I've established something, you know, I feel good about walking away, but at the same time, you know, I don't think it's going to move fast enough for me to feel comfortable or, you know, I'm, or I'm not able to move, you know, sometimes maybe, you know, horizontally, you know, to work my way into a position where I can still be excited about what's going on. Right. Mm -hmm. So that whole experience, you know, kind of learning it through East Bay and then refining it at finish line and, and getting the chance to, you know, we, we just, we never 
you know, we got to the opportunity to, to like actually hire content creators and influencers to, to work with us on things. And they had never done that before. And it's really a, it's, it's an intimidating thing for a business that hasn't done it because they don't know what the value is. And it's also intimidating in a space where, you know, now it's commonplace, but sneakers wasn't necessarily a business that, that people naturally wanted to pay a creator to, to do something. Right. Mm-hmm. It was like, if Nike was doing it, they were going to pay an athlete, right. It was already a part of their contract. They just had to make an appearance or, you know, show yep. up to an event, but to come into that and say like, look, you know, I, I mean, guys like Chris from wear testers or, you know, Fomer Simpson and his brother, or, you know, like the, there's so many people that we worked with over the years, but I just think of those guys in the early days, like, you know, Jacques Slade, Cousteau, right? Like those guys yeah. got to kind of help me in a, in a really unique way because what they did was they understood, like we had a relationship, right? We were friendly. We knew each other, but like I was going to the company saying like, look, these guys are trustworthy yeah. and I had to be able to trust them to prove that, you know, the YouTuber thing or, or whatever the hesitation was from a big corporate, you know, office mm-hmm wasn't going to get in the way of what they were trying to do. So there was a lot of interesting experiences there that, that really, you know, helped me understand the, the challenges for both sides, right? Like, you know, on, on some level, yeah, like, you know, certain, certain people just want to get paid to create content, but like, yeah. you also got to understand like your value in those things. So it's, it was a really um, educational time for me to be, you know, at finish line. And it eventually led me to, I think like, I mean, in between all these jobs, I usually find like either side gigs, side hustles. Or, yeah, know, yeah. Always got to do the side hustles. And, yeah. Yeah. And usually that stuff just keeps me motivated in the real job, right? Like if I have mm-hmm. a full-time job, it, it, no matter what it is, if I really truly love it or not, I still end up like going home after work, even if it's two in the morning. I'll be like, man, you know what? I've been thinking about this idea for so long. I got to do something with it. Hopping yeah. on the computer, doing some research. Like next thing you know, I'm like, okay, maybe I could try this. You know, like this might be worth it. Yeah. Um, so that led me to like, you know, I met Josh Luber. Uh, shoot, I don't even know, 2014 or 13 or something. Okay. Um, well before StockX was a thing, right? Like yeah. I met him at the very early stages of Campless. Through like, you know, we, d- we had him partner with us at, at finish line at one point, I had him work on some stuff with complex doing some data work, you know, yep. like just little things here and there. And he basically hit me up and was like, Hey, I'm going to be in San Francisco. We met up. Uh, and I kind of just, I just said, there was, we, we talked about a lot of things. So I have a site called sneaker history. Um, I kind of use it to like, use it to connect younger younger kind of aspiring sneakerheads to get into the business, right? Like come, you know, like learn some stuff with me, start to network with me and we'll yep. find a way for you to, to, you know, make get some in. money in this business or at least do some things or get some free shoes or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I had been doing that kind of more in a, a shit, man, I need to get on this with you. I know I'm not a young guy, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, man, let's do it. Um, I just, I think like that's the, to me, like the, you know, I, I really truly measure my success based on the opportunities I can create for others. And I can't I love that. stress that enough because 
at the end of the day, yes, like I got to pay my bills just like everybody else. I got to make money, like, but I get way more out of a, a text message 10 years later from somebody that's, you know, doing crazy things with Jordan brain or somebody that's now like running one of the basketball programs for Adidas because I trust, trusted them and gave them an opportunity at the very beginning of their path. Right. Yeah. And I don't, I don't necessarily, you know, like I'm not the best at keeping in touch with people on a regular mm -hmm. basis because, you know, unfortunately, like it's like the more people you meet, the more convoluted everything gets, but a hundred percent. I, I struggle with keeping up on those kind of things, but I also know that like, it, I, I think everybody that knows me well enough understands like I'm rooting for you, like yeah, bad blood disagreements, whatever. I want you to succeed because at the end of the day, the more people that are in the sneaker world that succeed, the more successful I can be, you know, like yeah. the more opportunities there are for me to do cool shit. And that's what I, sorry, I don't know if I can cuss, but yeah, definitely get cars, man. Definitely get cars. That's, that's what I, you know, really aspire to. Right. Like, yeah. And that was actually, it's funny. I said that cause that was actually one of the things like I was tasked with creating the mantra for finish line digital. When I first started there, they hadn't quite established digital in a sense that like it, everything was like still a part of stores and the old, way of mm -hmm. thinking. So they moved, they started digital a couple of years before I got there, but they were really looking to kind of like define what it was. And I, my mantra for that whole business was like, we do cool shit. If we can't agree one to say that, then we're not in touch with our consumers because yeah. a 16 year old, 17 year old kid that's shopping at finish line absolutely resonates with that statement. 100%. And if we're not doing cool shit, then what's the point of doing it? You know, like, yeah. and that's a tough thing for a, a big corporation. Corporations to, to have to deal with that kind of shit. Yeah. Go with. So we, we didn't get to use that officially, but that was kind of like the unwritten, like, Hey, this is going to be on the chalkboard, but it's not going to be in, in any of the, you know, produced materials as, as far as like our kind of mission statement. So, yep. um, but yeah, like, to, so going back to, you know, meeting Josh Luber, we met up in, in San Francisco ended up, you know, he ended up telling me about what was going on with StockX, and and I had kind of known because we like I think we had you know talked on social or something, but it was right when he kind of first got the uh, you know it was, I would say it's probably like six to nine months into him like working with Dan Gilbert, right? Okay, and you know he said, well, you know, like there's you know the opportunity for me to potentially like sell him sneaker history, um, and just become a part of it, mm -hmm. or you know like maybe just do this kind of like side work and, and start creating content for StockX. So um, I didn't really want to let go of sneaker history because I, I don't want it to become something that is, I want it to be a resource for people to kind of find old news and, and information. But I also, you know, it's a passion project for me and it's, it's never yeah. been about the money. So yep. I can appreciate um, that. Yeah. And, and it turned into, you know, like a, a short little contract for like a month or two maybe. And then, I don't know, like a, a few weeks into it, it was like, you know, Josh like texts me and is like, <laughs> I love Josh, true Josh fashion. So Josh is the type of guy that's like got a million things going on, right? Like if you think you're busy, like I think I'm busy, Josh has like a different level like of busy exponentially more. Right. And he's got to deal with guys like Dan Gilbert, where, you know, yeah. your priorities when like there's a billionaire investor <laughs> you know, behind you is, is a much different conversation. Right. So, yeah. um, 
when I first started, I had, I had sent them some stuff. I was like, here's the stuff that I would do. I sent them a bunch of writing, you know, kind of outlined some stuff and I didn't hear back. And I'm like, okay, well, this is weird. So I text Josh and I'm like, Hey, you check, check that email. Let me know what you think. Make sure I'm going the right direction for what we want to do. And uh, I didn't hear from him. And the next day is a Wednesday and no, the next day is, I think it's a Tuesday. He, he texts me back and he's like, uh, Hey, can you come to Detroit? And yeah. I'm like, well, can you read the email first? You know, like kind of like <laughs> joke with him, like, but like I end up going to Detroit, um, like, you know, literally like all within like a, a couple days of each other, uh, toured like where they were at in the, you know, early stages of StockX. I think there was seven people on the team at that point and, Shit. you know, four, four developers, Josh, Greg, who's still there. Mm-hmm. And that might be it. Um, maybe, maybe a couple other Russ, Russ might still might've been there at that point, or I can't remember if he started the same day as me or whatnot, but yeah, it just, uh, it turned into like, okay, cool. Like I toured all this stuff. And then he was like, so you want to move to Detroit? It's like, all right. I mean, I think this is going to, you know, this sounds like a cool adventure. Mm-hmm. So, um, it was, it was a crazy experience, you know, like you live in serendipity, man. This is awesome. I so love it. Man. I, I, yeah. I just, I mean, that's even like when Ryan like hit me up, I was like, man, this is crazy. So when I went to StockX, Greg, who is, uh, I don't know what his title is now, but like he's chief operations op- operator or something like that. Like, you know, basically second, yeah. second, second in, line in command kind StockX, of thing. Yeah. Right. Um, we hadn't, we, we hadn't really, I think we had just launched the, the marketplace yep. and this is, you know, a few months into being there or, or, you know, right at the beginning stages of me getting there as an official team member. And there's only like the eight or nine of us. So we didn't really have uh, a full understanding of where this could go. Right. Like we had, you know, we had just hired, I think a couple of people to do more of the, like, you know, shipping and receiving aspects of it. So we might've gotten up to like, a dozen people or something. It was still really small. Yeah. And Greg and I kept having this conversation around, this is around the time of Pokemon go coming, you know, being like Got super you. popular, right? Like yep. we look out the windows of the office and it's Everyone's snowing, but there's people like, you know, chasing Pokemon outside. Mm-hmm. And we just kind of like had this conversation of like, what if we just made this, this virtual world of sneaker chasing and collecting, right? Like that could be such a cool way to, overlay what we're trying to build in terms of the real world of, of the marketplace, but it could be a really cool way to market things also, right? Like it's, there's functionality in it. One way is that you're building it. You can then connect everything in the real world behind the scenes. And you've, you've kind of, you've kind of naturally put everybody in a position to buy, sell and trade regular shoes. Yep. Um, We eventually like, I think, I think Dan Gilbert actually probably was the one that ended up really shutting that down. I don't know that Josh was really into the idea because we had, we had seen the opportunity with, you know, the, the marketplace and, you know, being kind of a treating sneakers as a commodity, right? It was, it was really the first time anybody had done that. Everything else was, you know, bid this or, you know, uh, you know, goat was doing like used stuff. And we were just like, let's only play in the new dead stock world. Mm -hmm. So, when Ryan hit me up, you know, we, we connected maybe like, I don't know, it's COVID era. So I don't even remember maybe yeah. like six months ago or something. Yeah. Um, 
it, it was like, oh man, this is so cool. Like, I just think, you know, there's so much opportunity for me as a person who, who kind of lives on the edge of like the business, right? Yeah. I'll end up helping people with a smaller business, try to understand how they can either fit into a footlocker purchasing system or stand out on their own or mm -hmm. connect them with influencers or people that I know that can create, you know, content. So they have a way of putting content out. Cause a lot of times the people that have the idea and execute on, you know, let's say a particular product, they might not necessarily be the one that feels comfortable getting on camera or feels comfortable taking I've, pictures. Right? I've definitely noticed that. Yeah. Yeah. Even though it would make sense for those people to be the ones who are sort of like the do all in a lot of these scenarios. I've yeah. seen like, they're like, I don't, I don't want to do that part. Like, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. been an interesting so, thing actually exploring. Yeah. And we, you know, so we kind of ran into that a little bit, you know, as we went with all these different companies that I've been with. Right. So like, yeah. how do you, how do you maintain the the brand standard of what you're putting out there, but trusting that somebody else is going to be the talking head. And I think that's a challenge that a lot of these companies face. So for me to kind of live on the edges of the traditional sneaker world, being connected to these ideas like Aglet or, you know, StockX when it first started popping up and, you know, some of the guys that I'm working with now who are, you know, like working on, you know, I guess cook groups is the best example of, yeah. of how to explain it. Right. Like some of these things that are just like, they don't quite fit into the standard picture of what sneakers are, mm -hmm. but they're for sure going to be influential the same way that a Nike talk was originally. Right. Like when, yeah. when I first got on Nike talk, I mean, even, even prior to that, like anything that I did in sneakers, most of the people, you know, in my family and friends were like, what? Like, sneakers? <laughs> like, I don't, yeah. are you still talking about sneakers? I mean, I, I think still to this day, like my parents probably are like, yeah, he's, I don't know. He's still talking about sneakers, but like, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's, it's a good career. Like it's, it's a solid a it's opportunity, a, right? It's a solid, like, and it's a fun career on. too, man. Like, you know, being yeah. an aglet, like, you know, every time I'm on calls, like, I mean, like technically like reaching out to you, connecting with you, having a conversation with you, seeing what we could do together. Like this is work. Like, and I'm just like, yo, like I get free, free shit sent to me. Like I get to try out new stuff. Like I get to connect with cool people. Like but but my mom definitely if my mom had to explain to any of my family members like what does azim do for work she'd be like uh he sits in his room and he takes phone calls like i don't i don't and, and you know something about like games you know like yeah and so like no, i completely agree completely understand that man yeah it's it's wild man it's it's such a cool thing though when you look back at it and you're just like you know i, I kind of appreciate that people don't understand it right because i do the too. people that do understand it it's more of a you connection have that much then. stronger of a connection yeah 100 yeah, yeah, there's so. that much more of a connection of it like even hearing you talk about the serendipity stuff like the way i got connected to ryan was i was in the middle of thinking like man i want to raise money for a company of my own and it was like going to be a blockchain based gaming studio i wanted to make a game that would be like def jam vendetta meets super smash brothers and yeah, okay right and like bring like rappers and influencers and ball players and like gamers everybody into this thing and so i spoke to a friend of mine in canada who i know through twitter only that runs a game development studio and he's like yo you know we're not hiring right now and we don't do anything like that but 
I know this investor who lives in London that I think you should talk to. He's really into sneakers and like hip hop and sneaker culture and all that. He's a huge sneaker head. I think you'll, I think you'll appreciate talking to him. So I was like, all right, cool. So this guy in Canada, I've never met connects me to a dude in London. I've never met. And I have a conversation with the guy and I talked to him about my idea. And he's like, man, like, honestly, like it sounds cool, but what you're talking about, it's a little bit early for me to invest. I usually invest in things that are a little bit later stage. He was like, but I put money into this company and the CEO lives in Germany. And, uh, and I think based on your like background and your interests, it would be a really good fit for you uh, just to have a conversation with them. And I was like, okay, cool. And he's like, I can't tell you anything about it. They're in stealth. They haven't launched yet. I was like, all right, that's fine. I mean, like, if you think so, like, what's, what's a conversation going to hurt, right? And then he connects me with Ryan in Germany, who's the CEO of Aglet. And then, like, I ended up having conversations with Ryan, who was in Germany, Owen, who's in Australia, and TK, who's in New Zealand, did a case study, got the job, and we were going to do this huge launch in Los Angeles, and then COVID happened. And so it's like, so yeah. like the serendipity of all of it, of like, I talked to a dude in Canada who connected me to a dude in London, who connected me to a dude in Germany. And then I spoke to people in Australia and New Zealand before getting a job. I've still never met anyone at Aglet. I've never met anyone on the team. Like the shit yeah. is crazy, right? Yeah. So like, uh, no, I, I could totally appreciate that, man. It's just like, it's just like sort of going about my day, having fun, connecting with people, being like, I want to have more conversations like uh, like and then we'll see. Yep. And now we've, we did something cool with stadium goods a couple of weeks ago. We yeah, that was stuff, dope. Yeah. yeah, we did some stuff with Gucci now. And it's like we're having more conversations with more brands and more influencers and more people. And it's like literally like, my job is to just like make cool shit happen. Yeah, you know? that's dope, man. I mean, I think that's that's kind of the, you know, like a rule to live by. Right. Like, I really don't think that there's anything that is a coincidence. I think it's just that, you know, maybe you weren't ready to accept that opportunity as it, as it passed you by if you didn't catch it the first time. And yeah. I think the one thing that is really, you know, COVID wise that I miss and, you know, I, I was living in LA for the past few years, but I ended up moving back to Sacramento, which is my hometown kind of to be by family for a while and just, you know, be able yeah. to help out as, as my grandparents uh, get older and, you know, just, there was a lot of reasons, but like not being able to go out and, and socialize and talk to people. Like I still talk to people, you know, like this every day, right? Like I'm, I'm on the phone on, on a zoom call with somebody every day of the week. Um, but I, I crave that connection. Not, I mean, there's a, definitely a, a, you know, a, a socio, a, a social, you know, psychological aspect of that, that I crave mm -hmm. now that it's gone. Yeah. But I love talking to people because of these conversations where you're just like, wow, you just start talking. And next thing you know, it's like, oh, I know a guy that's doing something right. And to circle back to like what I was saying about like, for me, it's about creating those connections for people. So I, I always want to figure out how to be a part of it, how to, you know, make a living out of it. Mm -hmm. But I also just rather be like, okay, you guys need to talk to so-and-so, right? Like this yeah. is the person that needs to be a part of it because I can't stop thinking about her or him when I'm talking to you. Right. And those are the kind of situations where I think that comes from people just genuinely being open to conversation. And mm -hmm. I think it's really fascinating because we, when I, in my experience, and just like what you're saying, the, the, 
the path to get to these opportunities is exactly that, right? It's just like talking to people about what you want to do. You might not have talked to them directly about or got the answer that you originally wanted, Mm -hmm. but now it's put you in a position where, hey, I'm doing something that's really cool. You know, like, hey, you got a job while COVID's going on and it's a cool job at that. Next thing you know, like, you know, those things just turn into other opportunities, you know, as, as we were talking about a little before we started recording. I just think like the, the networking aspect of, of things is something that I really appreciate. I'm, I'm very much, uh, you know, one of those people that needs time for himself. Mm-hmm. Um, I, w- I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm an introvert, but I for sure need to like disconnect and, and shut it down yeah. so I can charge back up again to have all the conversations. But it's something that I think, you know, you know, it's something that I, I think I might even mentioned this to Ryan the last time I talked to him. I'm excited about what the future of sneakers looks like through these kind of lenses, right? Like yeah. Aglet can turn into something to me that is is much more than what it is right now. And I know you guys have a lot planned, but like there's so much of that going on. And there's there's like a super highway of creativity going on right now in sneakers that eventually all these people are going to come together and and switch lanes and pass lanes. And next thing you know, you're going to pull off and like three of you running a hundred miles an hour this way are going to be like, you know what, if we're like the Avengers charge, you know, like, (laughs) like we're, we're teaming up and like the, the opportunities that that will create will forever shape the course of, of footwear as an industry and sneakers, you know, as a, as a kind of subset of that. So to me, it's just really exciting to, you know, be a fly on the wall, so to speak, but like then to be able to talk to you guys about what you're doing and talk to the younger generation about, about, you know, the stuff that's in their future. So absolutely, man, where do you see things going uh, with the sneaker world at the moment? Um, so I actually, I'm going to, I'm going to plug my, uh, my newsletter here. Cause I actually just wrote about this on a newsletter on oh, Substack, really? but okay. uh, yeah. Um, but I would say that Aglet, what Aglet is for me is twofold, right? It's fueling my addiction in one sense mm-hmm. because I can go get shoes, but it's also, it's also a part of what I see as like a downsizing for, you know, a lot of people, right? Like, yeah, there's a lot of turnover in sneakers now that, that, you know, I being, you know, me being on the older side of, of this whole thing, mm-hmm. I didn't get into that turnover game the same way that a lot of people did. So yep. I still have massive amounts. So part of that is like, you know, downsizing, just becoming more refined about what we choose to consume. Right. Yeah. I think that there's a conversation around sustainability that has to happen you know, sneakers have been a part of the problem for a long time. Mm -hmm. And there's a misconception around what sustainability is in sneakers. Like, don't get me wrong. I think any step in that direction is, is, uh, is the right step. Yep. But I, I use the example of like, when I started writing in sneakers, you know, 10, 12 years ago, we would write about a shoe that was Nike would position as a vegan shoe, right? So like you could buy a vegan Air Max 90, all black work shoe, you, you know, like, especially if you're like a, a restaurant person or a mall employee where you have to wear an all black shoe, mm-hmm. but they would call it a vegan shoe. Now it wasn't made of any animals, yeah. but it wasn't, it was not good 
for the yeah. environment, right? Like it was made out of basically all plastics of some sort. Yep. And it's not recyclable. It's used like the glue that's used on it is toxic. Like all of the things that are problematic about it were still there, but it was a vegan shoe. Yeah. And I think we're in a place where we're slowly getting to the point where we can actually kind of turn the page on that conversation. And people need to think about a, a shoe that is recyclable, not a shoe that's made out of recyclables. Yeah. Like, Oh, we need to be able to know where that shoe is going after we're done with it. Right. Like, yeah, I think that's a conversation that, you know, many industries need to have, but like sneakers is always a leader in all of these things. Right. Like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm grouping sneakers, streetwear, all that kind of stuff into it. For right. Sure. Like streetwear to me in, in skate culture to me is like the antithesis of, of corporate America, right? It was like, mm -hmm. no, we just want a shirt that says, screw your rules. We're going to do it our way. Yeah. And that turned into streetwear. Right. And yeah. you look at that now and you, and you see kind of like Nike committing certain elements to, you know, sustainability. Adidas kind of going hard on, on their, you know, uh, direction with it, just because they're saying, Hey, we're going to do this across the company as a whole. We're not just talking about the packaging. We're not just talking about the shoes, but we're going to use recycled material in all of our buildings, everything moving forward. And those are like great steps. But like, if all those shoes are still made out of things that can't be recycled, yeah. you know, if, if they start as a piece of recyclable stuff and they create things that can't be recycled at all, it still doesn't address the issue that we really have with, with footwear. So I think that will be a huge part of, of conversations moving forward. And I yeah. think, you know, kind of what, what Aglet could become, you know, is a piece of that, not only that conversation, but just a piece of, of the, you know, kind of consumer experience, right? Like, yeah, I love shoes. Like I, I'm, I'm going to be surrounded by them all the time because it's just something I'm passionate about. I've connected with people. So it's even more ingrained in, in what I do and what I love. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I'd much rather have it all in, in the palm of my hand than, you know, sitting on a wall and not, you know, especially now warm. if you're not going outside, right? Like, yeah. If we run into another pandemic, like, you know, a year or two from now, God forbid, but like, well, here we are again, like I've got a bunch of shoes and I can't, you know, I'm not going to wear them around the house just to wear them around the just house. I actually them. tried that at the beginning of this because I was trying to do like a different shoe every day this year. And once it was like, well, I'm not going outside, like what, I'm not just going to put the shoe on to take a picture for, you know, social media. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I wanted to do that because I thought it'd be cool to document the Good stuff content. I was wearing, yeah. but it's just, it's, you know, like the pandemic hit and you're just kind of like, okay, let me reprioritize all time what's to wear, going on. Time to wear sweatpants every day. <laughs> yeah. So the other last thing that I would say about the future of sneakers, I think we're going to have a crazy amount of community that yeah. we haven't seen for a while. Right. We've had bits and pieces of it, but like looking at like, what sneakers was, you know, 10, 12 years ago, where you, you did have 200,000 people on a forum mm -hmm. talking about shoes. We're going to see that cut up into different areas where, you know, the Aglet community, like my sneaker history community, you know, there's like you mentioned, uh, soul savvy and soul retriever. There's all these places where like, I'm going to connect with like-minded people. I'm going to be inspired by it. And that's going to be so much more important because we're all craving it because of the pandemic. Right. Yeah. But then the value of that is tenfold when you take that and pitch it to, you know, a Foot Locker or a Nike or Adidas. It's like, look, 
Nike can say, we want to have millions of people watch this great, inspiring, you know, three minute video on the internet. And we all love it. Right. Yeah. But in order to sell shoes, the value of somebody saying, look, I've got, you know, 10,000 people in my discord Mm -hmm. that will jump at a moment's notice to either get a deal, to be a part of something special or to just, you know, be connected to the cool things that are going on. Yeah. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that type of integration on, you know, potentially like platforms like Aglet, you know, discord groups, all of these different places where, you know, like the best example I could give is like, I kind of had this like, wow moment. Cause we've had a sneaker history discord for a little while now. And it's part of our Patreon, but it's, I set it up and I was like all these different sneaker things, right? Like, how can I break it up? It's like, you know, I want to have all the different channels so people can talk about things. Yep. And as, as I got into it, it's like, of course you're going to share other interests. Right. So I had like the, you know, I put cars in there for me to talk about car stuff. Right. And all that stuff. We end up doing uh, an episode of our podcast and kind of went off on a tangent, talk about M&Ms. And it turned into this whole conversation around your favorite M&Ms, which turned into another channel on the server, like, like a couple of weeks ago, somebody posted a picture of, I forget what it was, like some sort of shrimp uh, Italian dish, right? Yeah. And I'm like, what in the hell is like, the, this is a sneaker thing, right? But like the guys are sharing recipes in our Discord huh. group. And like that to me is like mind blowing. Yeah. And I think that's also like so relatable, right? It might not be recipes. I'm not a, I'm not a cook at all, yeah. but like, it's like coffee, right? Like I'm a big coffee drinker. So if somebody's in there talking up coffee, I'd be like, yeah, I went and checked it out. Cause so-and-so was talking about it. Mm-hmm. And there's so much value in that because we have a relationship, you know, like we have our groups that we trust almost everybody in that. Right. And if we don't trust that person, there's more people there that are going to co-sign that. Yeah. And that value from a marketer's perspective is exponential to what that big inspirational commercial does. I mean, they're, they're pieces that work together, but like I see those things and, and how people connect and support each other becoming way more powerful in the sneaker world. So yeah, I'm excited, I'm excited about, about that. that, man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm excited about all that, man. In wrapping up, I know you mentioned your Substack. you mentioned the podcast and the site, like where can people find you? Uh, any, any place that you would want to drive people to? Uh, yeah. I mean, you can just probably follow me on Twitter or Instagram. It's just at Nick Engvall. Um, yeah. Like I, uh, I kind of rant on Twitter like most people. That's my, uh, I do too. Yeah. That's my, that's my, uh, my, let me get this off my chest space. And then uh, I'm, I'm less active on Instagram, but I try to, I try to post up my sneaker photos and puppy photos and, you know, random stuff like that on there. So all right, no doubt, man. Uh, thank you, thank you for coming on, uh, and and I'm looking forward to what we could put together too. I'm sure there's something. Yeah, man, for sure. I think we just keep talking, and and it'll come about. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me on. I definitely appreciate it. All right, man. Take care.